My scripture this morning is taken from the book of 1 Peter, chapter 1, uh, 2 Peter, chapter 1, verses 16 through 21. If you'd like to follow along as I read aloud, it is found in your pew Bibles on page 219 in the New Testament section. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we had been eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received honor and glory from God the Father when that voice was conveyed to him by the majestic glory saying, This is my Son, my beloved, with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice come from heaven while we were with him on the holy mountain. So we have the prophetic message more fully confirmed. You will do well to be attentive to this as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. First of all, you must understand this, that no prophecy of scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. Because no prophecy ever came by human will, but men and women moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. May God bless the reading of God's Holy Scripture. Amen. Notice that it says right off the bat, we had been eyewitnesses of His majesty. Now look. We believe that 2 Peter most likely was written in the 2nd century. Most scholars put it in the 2nd century. And part of this is because of the experience of text. There are some things that you just know that Jesus would have said or done. And, and so when we get to that point, we start going, oh, okay, well, this is, we can probably date it because of this and because of what we do know kind of what was happening, because again, as my professors will tell you, that uh, we don't know what really happened in the first century. The only thing that we have is our texts. We can make assumptions based off of the text of what physically could have taken place. But there's this understanding here that these folks that were writing this had been eyewitnesses of his majesty. Now they're talking about the transfiguration moment. So just to remember to paint you this picture in Josh's crazy hillbilly way of explaining it. Peter, James, and John go up to the top of a mountain with Jesus to pray. And while they're there, Jesus starts to light up like a light bulb. I mean, we're talking so bright that Peter, James, and John have to shield their eyes. And all of a sudden, the sky opens up and they see on two clouds, two people, which we ascribe to being Moses and Elijah. And in that place, Peter, James, and John are so scared, they have no idea what's going on. And I mean, like, let's be honest about it, rightly so. Jesus has just turned into... A light bulb. And we're talking 
really, really bright. And I love the images that you'll see in stained glass windows and paintings because it even has him kind of floating in the sky with the clouds of Moses and Elijah. And in this place, in that exact moment, they hear God's voice, which, again, makes them even more terrified because up until this point, the only people that were allowed to hear God's voice were prophets. So if you heard God's voice, that meant you were going to die. But God says, this is my son, the beloved, in whom I'm well pleased. Now, that is awesome. Super great. And it's also said after the baptism experience of Jesus in almost all of the texts, this is my son beloved in whom I'm well pleased. When he comes up out of the water, remember? A dove comes alighting from heaven. The skies open up. There's a moment there where we have this connection between God the eternal and the human beings and the temporal. And God makes a bridge across that and says, here we are. Now, Peter, James, and John, they do exactly like we would do. This is holy ground. We got to do something about it. We got to build tents. We got to build something so that everybody can remember this is the place that Peter, James, and John, and Jesus all had this religious moment. Their personal experience is what inspired this sacred text. Now, my favorite part of the story is, is that Jesus says, Oh, don't be afraid. It's okay. Again, because. It seems like they get scared about everything. And depending on which gospel you read, he either tells them, now don't tell anybody what you saw, <laughs> or this is, the, this is what was supposed to have happened. Regardless, this personal experience of eye, the eyewitness of his majesty has happened. There's another thing I want to point out here. In verse 16, there's this word called parousia, which is Greek, which is the technical term for uh, a visit to a city by a god or a ruler or an important person to dispense rewards or mate out judgment. When you see this word, you knew that the ruler was coming into the building. This is in verse 16. But in Christianity, parousia comes to refer to the return of Jesus to judge the living and the dead. So there's this moment where we're talking about the, the transfiguration and then going back to this conversation about Jesus now becoming the emperor, the ruler of the world. But, have you ever wondered what a prophet is. You see, Peter, James, and John have become prophets in this moment. I mean, in every aspect. In the Hebrew Bible, for example, when, when I was in seminary, I was taking a, a one too many classes on the Hebrew Bible prophets. I remember my professor saying to us, have you ever wondered how prophets got their message? Well, for example, Nobody really liked hanging out with prophets. They were not really nice people. I mean, I'm sure that they had 
nice qualities, but according to the sacred text, we don't have any of those things. Uh, we, we just get the idea that uh, they were coming to talk and preach doom and gloom to a group of people that they were supposed to love and adore, and then they'd say, oh, you are all going to die. You have not done anything that you're supposed to do. Uh, and because you are bad people, God is going to smite you from the earth. Uh, and by the way, please bring the deviled eggs to the fellowship dinner. And then, when, and then when they were done with this, they would say, by the way, if, if you've done these things, uh, the only way to come back in, in the chesed with God is, is to, to do the things of Torah, which means that you've, you've got to start eating right again. That means that you've got to start doing the burnt offerings right again. Again, no, nothing that anybody wanted to have the conversation of. But prophets served a purpose in the Hebrew, in the Hebrew world. For them, the prophe- prophecies came directly from many different ang- angles, such as, like, for example, Amos, chapter 3, verse 8. There's a direct place where God speaks to Amos. Boom. God could speak to prophets where God doesn't speak to human beings. And they didn't die. Some of them received it through a sign. God speaking to them. Like in Jeremiah chapter 1, verses 11 and 13. Maybe God spoke to the prophets in a dream, like in Zechariah. Chapter 1, verses 8 through chapter uh, 6, verse 15. Maybe like in Isaiah, chapter 6, verses 1 through 8. Now, some would argue that Isaiah 6, verses 1 through 8 is like a vision, but I think, and I would put Ezekiel 37 verses 1 through 14, and the book of Daniel as a vision from God. God spoke to them in visions, and uh, dreams are different. But they all came from the assistance of God. Prophecies that were passed on through the people to the people for change. The idea that they were used to play the crowd was false. I need you to hear me say this. To say that a prophet was used to play the crowd, oh, you guys aren't doing what I asked you to do, is is a false statement. Bobby, I'm going to move here in a second, so I just want to warn you. Let me give you an example. You've heard me say it before. In our modern day context, when we talk about modern day prophets, that modern day prophets have a tendency to start off with, and, and, I, and I'm using the term uh, rather uh, flippantly, so I'm, I'm going I'm to come away from here for just a second. Um, the term prophets becomes this, this moment where uh, the prophetic person says, God spoke to me in a dream last night. I'm supposed to have a Jeep Rubicon. Not just any Jeep Rubicon. I mean, I'm talking about an 8-inch lift, church. An 8-inch lift with all of the stuff in it, and it has an off-road package. Mm-hmm. Yeah, with a winch on the front and a winch on the back, and it not only does it have that, but it, it, it gets, it's an electric Jeep Rubicon because, you know, they make those, I guess. 
But the church has put it upon my heart, church, that God has put it upon my heart, that this is what I need to serve you today. Serve you better. As I go into the mountains of southeastern Oklahoma and go mudding for Jesus. Or, probably more that is uh, available, and one that you have heard of, uh, that was really somebody who said these words, Church, God spoke to me in a dream that I needed an $85 million jet this week. Why do I need this? Well, I, I'm, I'm even getting the used one. It's not brand new. I'm going to get it because it's going to take me from the East Coast church that I have to the West Coast church that I have in the televised production that I have created in the name of Jesus because God wants millionaires for Jesus. That is not a prophetic voice. Our personal experience clouds these sacred texts. This moment, can you imagine Peter, James, and John telling you their story as they're coming down from the mountain? You guys weren't going to believe this. I saw Jesus glow. And you're all going to say, what have you been drinking? I mean, let's be honest about that. But somehow, if, if, if this is being written in the second century... We know that that story has passed on and passed on and passed on. And what did it pass on to? Because it mattered that Jesus was there and God spoke in such a way that humans heard it. And they didn't die. And the challenge was, from that point on, to be the image of Christ, to be the voice of God amongst the people. Man, you see the difference between the prophetic message of then and today is the prophetic message today gets modified to suit humans' needs. Isn't it possible, and I, and, I, and, I, and I struggle with this, isn't it possible that we must pull God's voice due to our own special interests, a, a criticism? Maybe it's playing to a livable future. I'm afraid that if we do these things, God won't hear us. Or maybe I'm afraid that if we do this, God won't take care of us. Maybe, maybe it's the reason for death of transformative moments in our congregational lives because of a fear that, oh my goodness, maybe the Holy Spirit would come and transform and change us. I recognize sometimes that I struggle with spirituality. I struggle with the idea of truly prophetic, transforming and mission sending voices directly from heaven. As a human being, and, and most of you have kind of figured that out, that I, I tend to go to the text before I listen. My personal experience has taught me that there are very few people that do things for the glory of God. There are more that do glory for themselves using God's name. But the sacred text, 
It's a group of people that were living and thriving and dying for just being able to say the name of Jesus. Scripture matters. Scripture matters. And the part that I have to struggle with and the part that I have to break away from is that I have to recognize that your personal experiences matters just as much. Like Paul and the people of Peter's church, we have to be careful as leaders of congregations because we want the voice that you hear to be the voice of God's and not, well, other people that I may have caricatured earlier. We want you to hear the truly prophetic, transforming and mission-sending voice from heaven. And you have the parameters in which to discern which is real and which is not. Prophetic preaching, church, should make us uncomfortable. It should stir us from within our souls to do better in the world. To take care better of our people and what we've been given. It's hard to not think of this sermon in such a way that as we come closer to an end, that in this place, I think, if I'm being completely honest with you, like Peter, James, and John, I probably would have wanted to build three tents right there. One to represent Moses, one to represent Elijah, one to represent Jesus, so that all the world could come and see it and say, this is the place that it happened. And I think that if I'm being totally honest with myself, that when Jesus says, do not be afraid and don't tell anybody yet, it's because you get to be the person that tells everyone about it. And can you imagine if we just built that and just stayed there? None of you would be sitting here. None of you would be watching online. None of you would be talking about it when you're talking to a complete stranger this week. We get the opportunity to share that sacred text from our own personal experiences to the world in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. As I come closer to finishing my D-Men, I, I keep finding myself realizing how many resources we have within our denomination of people that help and how they do things and put things together. And Bruce Barkhauer, just, he just writes some really good stuff sometimes. Um, and he puts it on our Center for Faith and Giving website within our denomination. 
And he writes this moment that I just thought went perfectly with my sermon, so I'm going to share it with you. Can you call to mind a time in your life when you were so inspired that you wanted to move mountains? Some moment when you were so filled with gratitude that you were willing to respond with super generosity? We hear of Peter's moment on the mountain seeing Jesus transfigured, you know, changing into glory in the presence of Moses and Elijah, which led to Peter's offer to build three dwellings, one for each of these heroes of our faith. Matthew records the remarkable story of God breaking into that moment, claiming Jesus as God's own son and instructing the disciples to listen to Jesus. And the three disciples responded with fear. Now you may find a fear at your first response to your desire for super generosity. But Jesus spoke into the moment with the familiar words, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid to respond in gratitude. To your own moment of recognizing the amazing blessing that we've received, this gift of life. We know that this is not going to last forever, but in the moments that we have breath, we are to respond with every breath that we have with gratitude. So as we offer our most generous gifts of time and talent and offering, we recognize that in this place we do this for Christ's work here and to the ends of the earth. Would the diaconate please come forward?